so thank you for packing out the room, everyone. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a story it's so crowded. Yeah, I know. Gosh, you can barely hear myself think. <sighs> so we are very lucky to have John Locke with us again today. I'm honoured um, to be back. Thank you. If I may say so, the mastermind behind Afterlife Inc. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd accept uh, genius or kind of <laughs> genius. <laughs> brilliant leader. Yeah. And one quarter of Big Punch Studios, if yes. I'm getting my mess right. Yeah, fantastic. Um, don't know, he's been with us every year, so you may have encountered him before. <laughs> um, so, Joel, if you can take us back to the beginning, have you always been passionate about comics? Yeah, sorry, I should, uh, I should turn around a bit and actually face everyone. Very, certainly you as well, so very, very rude of me. Um, yeah, I have, really, and it's, it's kind of bizarre because I couldn't really tell you why. I think many, many times my, my parents have asked me, why don't you, like, you know, they're, they're proud, so we're really proud of what you're doing, but why don't you write a book? You know, as if, like, you know, like, like we, a book is proper, we can kind of understand that, and I'm not sure I could tell you entirely why it would have to be comics, because I, I read fantasy and sci-fi growing up, you'd think that would have ingrained on me, but, you know, as a kid I was also reading, obviously, like, uh, the Dandy, Beano, the usual kind of stuff you grow up with in the UK. I even like uh, Thomas the Tank Engine comics, which, you know, I loved. And I remember, like, um, just, like, kind of, like, the what was life-changing kind of moments, but I remember, I, it was, like, I was starting, like, year four or five in primary school, and I sat down, and it was, it was like, the first day of school, and you're sitting next to a person you're going to be sitting next to for the next year or two years, you know, and he sat next to me, and I can't remember his name, but I remember he had a comic with him, and it was called uh, Sonic the Comic. And it was based on Sonic the Hedgehog. But it was, and I knew Sonic the Hedgehog from like, you know, the video games and everything. But it was Sonic the Hedgehog, only he was fighting, it was like chapter six in this epic saga of interdimensional battles and like evil robots that want to take over the world. And they'd gone back in time and tried to like prevent him ever becoming a blue hedgehog. I don't know, like whatever, however that worked. And, it was the weird, genuinely the strangest thing my like seven or eight year old self had ever seen in my life. Because it was clearly a comic, but it wasn't like Babino. It wasn't like Desperate Dan or like uh, Dennis. And I'm like, what on earth is this? Like it was insane. And I was immediately hooked. I had no idea what was going on, but I, I loved it. And uh, I found out in later life, this was uh, a UK Sonic the Hedgehog production. And for whatever reason, Sega gave them a very long leash to do whatever they want they wanted so they were shameless like marvel fans and they ended up um having like vast interstellar cosmic battles and stuff like that and it was i loved it and i think from that moment on i knew it would have to be comics like i just it just got me about hey guys come on in sorry mate. yeah it just got me about critical critical age and then probably like the next most definitive moment in my life was uh See that. The first time I ever got a, uh, I ever picked up a Grant Morrison comic, uh, and I remember going into like Otica's or Waterstones, wherever it is now, and they had all these, all these graphic novels wrapped in cling film, so you couldn't peer inside and read them. And uh, I picked up uh, volume six of J of JLA. I'd never read a Justice League book in my life, and I thought I'm going to try something different. And once again, I arrived right at the end of a storyline. I had no idea what was going on, but it was the most insane thing I'd ever read in my life. And kind of like discovering Grant Morrison, the writer, was kind of like this click in my head. And I'd always known 
I wanted to make comics because I made rather poor comics back in primary school. But when I read my first Grant Morrison book, I was like, oh, like, I want to be a writer and I want to write comics. And that was it from then on. And did you go straight from there to Afterlife Inc? Or was there... No, there was like my dark teenage years where I tried... Um, <laughs> I Because, uh, I mean, I should probably comment on the Sonic thing for a minute because in primary school, we made a comic. Me and my two best mates, Rayman and Titch, made a comic called Big Punch, which was uh, probably the most shameless rip-off of Sonic the Hedgehog you can imagine. Like, I, came, I came up with the most uh, original character of them all, called uh, Donic the Porcupine, <laughs> who uh, was purple, and a completely different character, because his spikes went the other way, you see, you know, Sega never came knocking. Um, and my mate Rayman created a character called Sticks, and he was outraged a few years ago when Sega announced the latest addition to Sonic's larger family, who is a kind of like orange echidna called Sticks, and he's he's you know he's absolutely incensed that they stole his idea. Um, but yeah, we actually made made some comics in primary school, which made us really cool. Like you know we you know everyone knew you know who the big uh, big guys around uh, around campus. And then I went to secondary school, and my friends very wisely realised that you shouldn't be making comics about porcupines in secondary school. They will eat you alive. Uh, I didn't. It took me a little while to kind of cotton on to that. And, uh, and I kept kind of telling these stories privately. Like, I, I would really, I would draw. Like, I, I wanted to be an artist. I would draw these characters, and I very quickly realised I loved kind of world-building. And so what started out as these daft, like, innocent little kids' characters became this big, again, cosmic saga, and there was, like, you know, you know, fantasy, and everything I was reading in sci-fi books got thrown in. And I remember a friend of mine going, John, like, your stories are really good, but, like, they're all about porcupines. What's up with that? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it is a bit of a niche market. And he said, tell you what, and, you know, this might sound crazy, why don't you write about humans? I was like, good God, that, that's so crazy, it might actually work. And, um, and yeah, and I was like, this is it, this is going to be the one. And I made, I, I started writing my first superhero comic, which was called Dark Force, which is the most 90s thing you will ever read in your life. And they will be returned in some form, because I love them. Because I was, um, you know, it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of like, 17, acting like a 14-year-old, and you're drawing these characters. And I had, I had a guy called Obsidian, who had like big hat, you know, dressed in black, had the robes, carried a sword. He was, you know, every kind of like he just looks badass. I love him to this. And his gimmick was he knew exactly when he was going to die, so he couldn't die a moment before. And I loved him. And uh, I had another guy called Force of Nature, who I really want to get back because I used to draw, and I used to draw these all the time, but I couldn't draw faces. And I couldn't draw anyone unless they were in like an utterly rigid kind of stock pose. So that was how I drew a lot of my characters. And it's why a lot of my characters had masks or weird faces where they didn't have any features. And Force of Nature could control all the elements. And his body was quartered. So he was like fire on one side of his face, which wasn't a face. It was just like a kind of disc. Fire on one side, lightning on the other. One leg was rock and one leg was ice. And I love these guys, and I made like the craziest stories you can imagine. And uh, it was this big kind of like in my head, it was kind of like the next Sandman. It was like this massive epic thing. But people would ask me, "What's it about?" And I couldn't tell you because it was about everything and nothing at the same time. Like it was so unfocused. 
And I remember um, I carried this throughout uni and I was kind of writing stuff and contacting a few artists and trying to get this off the ground. And I went to, uh, and I moved, <coughs> I moved to Canada after finishing my degree, which was actually in biological sciences, it's not in writing at all. And uh, I went to Canada and I arrived like, yes, this is it, I'm going to year and like, I'm close to America, that's where the comics come from and I'm going to like have all these adventures. And I went to a comic shop and called the, the, the Guilin in Toronto, it was a very kind of classy shop. Like Neil Gaiman would come and do readings there and stuff. And I remember t talking to the owner saying like, I've got an idea for a comic. And he said, uh, and he said, and he gave me the best and harshest, harshest advice I've ever had in my life, which was, because I said, I've got a great idea for a comic, and he said, I'm going to stop you there. There is nothing more overrated than a good idea. Just then, and, I, and, I, and it crushed me, and I was like, good God, that's horrible. Like, I, like what, a, what a mean person. How, how could you say this to me? Like, and, and I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, like, talk is cheap. And I'm always talking about doing this comic, and it's nothing but an idea. And it will always be pure in my head because it's an idea, but I've never made it real. And I, I, it crushed me, but I went back to the drawing board and I thought, I need to start from scratch. And I had this idea about a murder mystery set in the afterlife. And I knew, all I knew is that the main character would be called Jack, and the afterlife would be many levels. And it, there was this idea that like, if someone got killed in one level, they would drop down to the next level. And it was about a guy who was trying to solve his own murder in the afterlife, while someone was tracking him down and killing him on every level. And his soul got weaker and weaker and weaker, and he had to do it before that was over. And then that very quickly suddenly just became, oh, what if it was a business? And, and then suddenly, in like the kind of that latter part of 2007, I came up with these ideas and these characters. And, uh, you know, um, it just, and I thought, it needs a name, something like Afterlife Inc., but better. And I just never kind of progressed beyond that point. And, uh, and I was like, what can I call Jack? Uh, Jack Kismet? I was kind of running with that idea. Because I, I bet Jack Fortune is taken. And I don't think it was, and I still don't think it was, because I never got better than that. And I always knew like he'd have a friend who was made out of gold metal for some reason. I don't know why, it was like a dream. And I always knew that there'd be this lady who, who was like utterly black, like her skin was like the colour of night, and she'd have big hellboy-like gauntlets. And I was like working in a coffee shop at the time, and they had this little brand of sugar sachets. And on the cover of the sugar sachet was like a... This guy, like a very stylized drawing of a man strumming a mandolin, and he had a big hat and very long fingers. And I looked at him and I thought, that's, that's my archangel, that's Anahel. And I took him and he became this like very regal, godlike being in the afterlife. And it, everything I kind of picked up in that year in Canada just fed its way into the book. Like uh, one of my colleagues, her dog was called Lux. And I thought, that's the most amazing name in the world, I, I'm going to nick that. But his character, and the name means light in Latin, and now his character, <coughs> just utter blackness, will be that. And it suddenly all just came together, and um, I think Nuriel at one point was going to be just a big man on fire, but he suddenly morphed into being a big lion man on fire. <laughs> uh, when in doubt, add lion. And um, yeah, and, it, and I'm amazed at how much it kind of just arrived fully formed in a weird way. And that was 2007. And I thought, yes, great, this is me doing, not talking about it. 
and I didn't make a comic until 2011. <laughs> it took me that long because I like I was I, I was chatting to a Canadian artist. Um, we'd met on MSN Messenger, which if you're younger than I don't know 18 is what your grandparents used to communicate on. <laughs> and uh, he was Canadian, and we hung out in Canada, and he became part of our friendship group. But bless him, like he was doing it all for free, and he just couldn't really commit. He wasn't going to get a place in his life where he could make this work. And um, I spent the whole of Canada, this whole year, traveling and writing. And I wrote another series called Biotes, which has never seen the light of day. And I'm thinking of maybe dusting off. It was basically real-world Digimon. It was basically like these eggs rain down all over the planet, and these weird monsters come out which bond with whoever's nearest to them. You know, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was going to go from like that moment to bringing the world to giant monster-fueled meltdown. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I just didn't, didn't carry that on. And I will at one point when I find the time. Uh, and then right, right at the tail end of the year, I went to a Comic-Con, uh, Toronto Fan Expo. And I went to a talk by Matt Fraction. And he hadn't quite hit Matt Fraction level superstardom, which he has now. But he was doing this talk about how to write, and he did this amazing talk, and he was really funny and engaging. And then he said, I, I raised my hand at the end, I said, like, Matt, when you're writing a comic, do you just start at the beginning and keep writing, and then see where it gets you? Because I said, because I keep writing, and I get to like page 20, and I've run out of room, like, and I've not covered half the stuff I want to. And he said, uh, no, 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 no. He said, I take a lined bit of paper and I number every line and it's one line per page and I write what happens on every page. And everyone in the audience went, oh, <laughs> and I wrote this down. So I, I've been stealing that from Matt Fraction ever since. I've been telling everyone who's interested in writing comics, that's how you do it. And I got back, to, and I got back home, I got a job, I started saving up a bit of money because I wanted to pay an artist and uh, Eventually, advertised online, said I want to make an eight-page short comic to like kind, of, kind of like you know pitch after I think around. And advertised online, that guy called Ash. I had about three hundred people say I want to draw your comic, and it wasn't quite like, it wasn't right with all of them. But Ash responded and said, Hey, I've done a few concept sketches of your main guy. What do you think? And it was like suddenly there was Jack, like there was Jack Fortune on the page. And I was like, this could actually happen. So I made an eight-page comic. And I thought, I'll pitch this to publishers, and then I'll, after I think it will be made, and then I'll be a millionaire, and it will all be great. <laughs> but somehow I just never did that pitch. And then I did a second story, and a third, and I published it on my website. And I think like two people checked it out every month. And then suddenly after a year, I was like, I have enough material to make a book. Like, this was never my intention. I never wanted to be a self-publisher. And I, but I found a printer. I printed this book, and I went to my first ever show in February 2012. And the first thing that happened was we set up and the books arrived at the table. I hadn't seen them until that moment, so my heart was racing. And I looked at my, the first book I'd ever made and uh, a lady came up to the table and said, oh, is this after I think? I said, yeah, you know, like a little scared. And she said, oh, I read this online, I love it. And she bought a book right there and that was the first ever so I made. And she must have been the one person other than like, my mom who was checking out, <laughs> checking out the website. And, um, yeah, and I think that's it, because I think like all I've ever wanted was someone to do it for me. And no one no one ever did, and I thought I could I could wait forever. Or I could just do it and four books later. Here we are, <laughs> I guess. Um, so how's it developed? Has it been going nice? 
excuse me, unexpected directions, or is it pretty close to what you had in mind from the beginning? Well, uh, it's, it's 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 no, it's entirely not what I expected at all. Because I, because I, we've made three books so far of Afterlife, I think, and then the hardback collected edition and crossover with Seven String and all the other big punch stuff we do, but. Uh, those books of Afterlife I think I've made were not the books I originally planned. Because when I was in Canada, I wrote the Afterlife Bible, if you will, like the, the whole story, the beginning and the end. And originally it was going to be six books, which would be the rise and fall of Afterlife. I think it would end. There was definitely an end in each side. But I knew I wasn't good enough to, to write those stories. It was so weird, I could see the shape of it but I knew I wasn't talented enough to do them justice, and I knew if I dove into them now, I'd ruin it. Like, I actually made issue one of that original Afterlife Inc. series. Like, I made a 22-page comic called The Death and Continuing Good Providence of Jack Fortune, and it was like, Jack dies. It's about Jack dying and arriving in the afterlife. And it would have started from Jack dying, and would have gone from there. And then, when I got home and I started making these short stories, I thought, the beginning's boring. Like, I don't want to talk about how we built the company. I want to I wanna have the company ready and I want them all to be having adventures and stuff. So I just did these stories as if it was already made. And afterwards, everyone told me like, oh, I love how, I love how you just started the story like in the middle. That's genius. And I was like, yeah, I, I planned it. <laughs> that, was, that was totally the plan. And the irony, the irony is that I, I made three books that were never part of my original plan. And there are now characters in the book who were never part of the original plan. And it's so bizarre, because I feel like I'm in an alternate reality. Because like, App, for example, the living iPod, like Jack's personal bodyguard, like, I love him to bits. It's so bizarre, because he's just this big, kind, loyal, muscular hunk of like, he's just like a one-man army of destruction. But he cares, and he's kind, and he's considerate, and I love that character bits, and he was never part of the original plan. And, and now, the irony being is that now, with book four, I'm now telling the stories I originally planned. So what, was, what is Man-Made God? What is, what is the new book I'm kind of on Kickstarter today is, in a weird way, that first ever after I think book I planned. But the difference now is that it's not starting with Jack dying. We're just going straight into it, but the threat and the challenge of this book was what would have happened in the original story. Okay. Uh, but the weirdest thing now is that I have all, I know where, I know what's going to happen, I know where all these characters are going, but now there's different characters in the equation, and it's kind of like we're going around the cycle again, it's kind of like, this time we fix the loop, like this time the timeline is complete, and, and it's so bizarre, and I, I just, it's heartbreaking in a way, because I, I've come to love these characters like they're, they're a part of me and I know where it's all ending I know where it's all going and this is kind of like the beginning now I know by telling these big stories I'm ultimately I'm going to have to tell the ending at some point so is this set before the no no this is the, it's a direct continuation the only difference is like originally it would have been Jack has died and now you know oh heck there's something to deal with and this is all crazy but now it's just like we are continuing directly from the end of lifeblood and now there's something crazy to deal with. Like, I, mean, I want to keep that continuity going because like, at the start of the new book, like, after I think have temporarily relocated their headquarters because at the end of book three, it gets trashed by vampires. 
stupid sexy vampires like you do. And uh, you know, I really want to keep that continuity going. So yeah, they're dealing with the aftermath of that. Okay. And does it work as a jumping on point for anyone who has I really want it to be that way. Because the, the new book is called Man Made God, so it's it's a six part I guess graphic novel if you will, made up of six chapters. And these are some of the chapter covers which have been kind of like playing in the background. And but um, Man Made God itself is actually a five part story and the opening story is called Second Life and that's our kind of jumping on point. That's like a standalone story which is saying, here's everything that's been before, here's everything that's coming, seen through the eyes of a different character, and this is how the world works. While at the same time, there is stuff going on in the background which is gonna carry on throughout the whole book. So, yeah, it's, uh, I'd like to think it's a good jumping on point. Okay, and how have the previous books been received? Uh, kind of better than I, I could have ever hoped, really. Like, it was always uh, a crazy experiment, and I feel if, if I'd sold one book, I would have been happy. But somehow it's, somehow it's always sold well, and somehow that's given us, given me kind of like the strength to keep making them, and to kind of, like, and, and keep, you know, funding them, because of course, you know, all the money we make goes back into making the comics. Like, uh, none, you know, none of us in Big Punch are drawing a, a salary off what we do. It'd be lovely, but like, it's all, it's all funding in. And the beauty of it is, is that like the comic bills are paying the comic expenses. So the, com the business is self-fulfilling. But comics is a really hard <laughs> business to kind of like make a living in. And uh, I think if I if I really wanted to be rich, I would have, I don't know, become an investment banker or something like that. But. You know, or maybe I should have written a book that would have been better received. But no, like, the comics have been lovely, and I, I, I almost feel like I'm, like I'm living a kind of, I don't know, like I've, like I've cheated my way into this life, because I, all, all I ever, as I said before, all I ever wanted was someone to do it for me. And because I couldn't find anyone, I had to do this stuff myself, and, and then everyone thinks I know what I'm doing, and I don't. I'm just kind of like making it up as I go along. But it's amazing. I mean, like, we couldn't have made the second book again if the third one hadn't done well. And you know, we kickstarted book three, which was an amazing experience, and especially since it was such a terribly run Kickstarter, and I made so many mistakes, and uh, I structured my rewards badly, but somehow people still supported us. And then, of course, we did the crossover, you know, with Nick's world with Sevenstring, and uh, everything that's come out of that, I could I could barely have believed possible. That was never part of the original plan. If me and Nick hadn't had this disgusting bromance where we were just so in love with each other's work that we had to join forces and form a business, like, but it's mad, like, you know, my characters have entered his world, his, his characters have crossed over into mine, like, suddenly it all feels bigger and more real. And the very fact that we can come to a show like this and people can care enough to come along and hear me waffle on for an hour is, is like, the best honour I could imagine. Like, I, I feel like I've found some, my kind of self-worth making making comics like and that's perhaps why I feel so passionately about them. It was it was never just like, oh I'm gonna make a comic. This was always my I don't want to say big, but it was kinda of like a cool one. Like I kind of I am like on a mission here and I, I can't I don't think I could have done anything I couldn't don't think I could have choose, chosen a different path if I wanted to. But hey comics are fun, right? <laughs> you, know? uh, you mentioned the crossover with Nick's series Seven Straight. Yes. Did that bring a new audience to your work? It, it certainly did, yeah. Um, I'm just going to take a sip of coffee, pardon me. 
Mm. No, it certainly did, and um, I think um, vice versa as well. Sorry, I'm speaking of app, uh, some lovely muscles have just uh, <laughs> flashed up on the screen behind us. Um, yeah, like it was amazing, and I think because uh, it's like Nick's seven-string audience suddenly, you know, became aware of Apple, I think, and, and vice versa. And I think also because we did that crossover, and because we stupidly left it in canon, we suddenly created a shared universe. We suddenly, and then we created a business off the back of it, and all of Nick's future plans for the comic, for his comic, and all my future plans have kind of merged in a way. So. I feel like, yeah, like both audiences have kind of like crossed over and we've also, I guess, generated like a third audience somewhere in the middle, like this unholy union of um, <laughs> big punches, I guess. So, but yeah, it's been, yeah, fantastic. Okay, if anyone's sitting here thinking this series sounds absolutely amazing, which I'm sure they are, and they want to support it, how do they do go about it? Well, it all went live on Kickstarter today, which is crazy because we had to click launch and then hop in the car and drive here so perhaps good for my blood pressure and sanity i've not actually been checking the page today so we could have you know we could have made nothing we could have done all right but uh yeah if you if you would like to support the book uh, it's on kickstarter right now uh, there's a rather convoluted link down in the corner but if you want to find it directly you can go to afterlife-inc.com and the entire comic is now online for free, so you can read the backstory, you can check up on it all. Uh, the new book is 172 pages. Uh, it's, you know, a six-part story. Uh, it's an arc, but it's also like, it's leading the way for future books, because like I said, we're in that cycle now where it's the beginning of the end, and it might take me another decade, but you know, we'll know there's an ending site. And um, yeah, and it's half, it's half made already. Uh, that's the thing, like I, Kickstarter isn't uh, like a magic wand, you can't wave it and just suddenly make money up here. Like I looked at the numbers originally and because I want to pay my artists, because I want to pay everyone involved, it was a really expensive prospect and I think originally I looked at it and it just wasn't affordable. Like, uh, you know, if I wanted to hit my original target, we would have had to have given away more copies of a book than I was printing. Like it just would have, the money wasn't it's not a it's not a fix all. It won't solve all problems. So hence why it's taken me perhaps so long to get the new book out is because I've spent the last couple of years funding it myself. I've been putting money aside. So I've funded half the book, which is be, which is made. It's it's all it's all done. And the Kickstarter is just to cover the remainder. So the idea is that if you back it, the moment the project ends, we will send you the chapters. So We'll send you the chapters as PDFs while we're working on the rest of the book. So we want to keep people in the loop while we're working on it. And then the moment the book is finished, once the latter half is done, we will send you the whole, you'll get a physical book at the end of it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's 17 pounds if any of you are interested. And it is 172 full color pages. And there's sweat, blood, and hopefully some fun in there as well. <laughs> and how long does the Kickstarter uh, 30, 30 days. Okay. So th today's day one and uh, end of September it comes to a, comes to a conclusion. Cool. So yeah, we're kind of out in the, the shark tank of uh, Kickstarter now and at the mercy of the, of the world. We'll see, what, we'll see what happens with it. And what are the plans for after volume four? 
Well, I mean, after volume four, hey, come in. Okay. Uh, after after volume four, like I said, it's hopefully keep powering on into you know volume five and onwards. I mean, I think we're looking at in total we're going to be about seven or nine books. If I can bring it in at nine, I will. But like I said, the end has always been exciting, and it could take me the better part of, as I said, a decade. You know, we could all be here with our Zimmer frames looking back at uh, <laughs> of, uh, the end of the series. But yeah, I'm hoping that this is, you know, quite literally the, the, the jump start, the kick start the series needs to kind of move forward because making these books is expensive. And, and, and because I want to make it to a certain level of quality and I, you know, I really want to pay everyone involved. I want to do a fair deal for everyone. And so it's taken, there's been this kind of stalling process while I've been getting funds together to get the new book done. And I'm hoping that once this book is out there, it will kind of break the seal in a way and now kind of like the others will follow. And if we're lucky enough to be funded, it'd be amazing. But if we're, if we're even luckier and we go over, then that money's just gonna go straight back into making, making the next book. Because yeah, the next book's planned, like I said, it's all, all planned out. I've always had this roadmap in my head and sometimes we take, we take little diversions, but yeah. I'm, yeah, hopefully this is the golden age. <laughs> the golden age now of Apple, I think, you know, it'll just keep powering ahead. And then, of course, you know, the movie, the sequel, Obviously. you know, the, I, I be the trilogy, the Civil War, you know, and then, uh, <laughs> and then the next step is profit. <laughs> um, and beyond Afterlife, I think, um, why else have Big Punch GDN's got lined up for us? Well, we are... Um, we're working on BPM, which is our quarterly magazine, which collects four series, four ongoing series from the greater Big Punch multiverse. So in pure kind of Marvel DC style, everything you read is part of a bigger story, and we want each story to function on its own, but for them to be all contributing to a greater whole that even Afterlife think can centering a part of. So yeah, we want it to be kind of like a multiverse in your pocket. So we're coming to the end of like our second year of Big Punch magazine, which has been going really well, because of course we took a bit of an experiment there and we started offering it as a subscription service, which we knew not many kind of UK comics were doing. It's only on an indie level. So that's been an interesting thing as well. And that's been a way of reaching new fans and outside the conventions, you know, kind of keeping stuff going out. But we've got, uh, yeah, we're coming up to the second end of, the, the end of, Year two, sorry, is what I meant to say. Somehow we've got eight, we've got eight magazines out in two years. Uh, so over like 360 pages of comic material, which you know I forget sometimes. <laughs> we kind of we never stop the smell of roses. That's our problem. We're always moving on to the next project. But we got our first card game out last year as well, which is Sandwich Masters. And I guess as Big Punch, we. We're hoping to keep going with Big Punch magazine, taking that to new heights. Uh, I would say this, but we do have some really exciting stuff lined up in the next couple of years. And I think the next, because we it's worked out into like two year cycles where you get like a loose kind of story arc coming to an end. And I think uh, the second, like years three and four, are going to be pretty special. And yeah, it's like in the spirit of crossovers, you may be seeing some familiar faces popping up in other titles. So that's. That's pretty exciting, and we do we do have some ideas. We we were working on a, our second board game as well, which uh, got the prototype stage and has gone on the back burner for the time being while we're focusing on some of the other things. I don't know, like I also I've been quite ill this past year as well, so kind of like 
I, I, I'm always, I've always got this little voice in the back of my head cracking the whip, but I'm hoping, like, with that behind me now, I can get back to being productive again. Okay, fantastic. Um, did anyone have any questions? I don't know if I could ask about the artists. Who, which artist have you got in volume four? And yeah, yeah. Have you chosen who you get to work on artists? Because you have quite a variety of different styles and how do you pick those? And yeah, it's, it's interesting because the original formats of the Athel, I think, certainly the first two Athel, I think, books were kind of very short, like eight page chapters, which was mostly defined by how much I could afford at a time when I was making them. And so, but it was also an opportunity to work with a lot of different artists. So a lot of people liked the fact that we had different artists involved and they were you know, bringing different things to different stories. And there was a lot of fun in kind of pairing an artist's style to the story in question. But with the new series, and something we began with uh, Lifeblood, book three, we started telling these longer, like American-style chapters, so kind of 22 pages, 24 pages, that kind of thing. And so we started having one art team doing longer runs. And a lot of people like that, but they also kind of miss like, these backup stories. They might kind of have short stories in a variety of artists. So what I'm trying to do going ahead is pair an art team to a longer run. I mean, not to kind of flatter myself by making comparisons to, say, Sandman, but much like Sandman did, where every book would have a different art team or something. But no, for this book here, uh, we have the return of Ash, who drew, let's draw most of our stuff from the beginning. So Ash has done a couple of chapters, but then we have this new gentleman, uh, David Tinto, who I met at a show a couple of years ago, who is, uh, he's doing, we call him and his mates the Italian Stallions, for a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of artists from Italy, and we're all kind of amazing. But um, yeah, David is doing. Um, me. David is providing pencils for the majority of the book. Uh, we've got Mike Bunt doing inks, who's been a frequent collaborator. He's like the cheeriest, most reliable guy in comics. You just give him a buzz, and like a few minutes later, an inked page appears in your inbox. He's kind of amazing. And Verity Glass, who's here this weekend, uh, who is our regular artist on all in BPM is doing the colours for this book. So it's looking particularly vibrant, I have to say. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of everyone. Lucy and myself are doing the letters, which is a skill we've picked up through Big Punch magazine. And then we have an amazing cover, which some of you who came in later may have missed, but I'll swing around to it in a second, by another one of the Italian scullions called uh, Raphael Riccardi who has this amazing kind of uh, Olivia Capelle style, which is just fantastic, actually. But then we have, uh, we're running a couple of backup stories in the new book. So we have um, Will Tempest, an illustrated story he did, uh, called The Ever There, which we'll be running as a backup, which is previously we published as an exclusive digital download, but that's going to be collected in the book. And also, uh, we're going to have a special backup adventure featuring uh, Rich Fire, who last turned up in Lifeblood and is mostly absent, absent from this story, but we want to explain where he's been. And uh, I don't want to name the artist on that yet, but we've got a, hopefully a complete, a more comedic story lined up at the end. But yeah, I'm nothing without my artists, basically. They make me look good. <laughs> Can't draw to save my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, any, any other questions? Don't worry if not, no, you've been <laughs> off my nose. I can, uh, I, um, Perhaps I could, I mean, say perhaps a little bit about what the new book's about. Yeah. 
Well, uh, in a nutshell, uh, we have that kind of jumping on story we talked about, where we see the events that have gone so far, the events taking us forward through the eyes of a new character. And then we have the main story, Man Made God. And of course, Jack is the CEO of a newly, uh, you know, human-driven afterlife. But the question is, who did he take over from? What happened to the people who disappeared? What happened to the former rulers of the afterlife? So now, it's like Jack is at the peak of his power, and some of these former rulers are returning. And Jack is now faced with the dilemma of, can he be trusted to relinquish the power that the afterlife's true owners? And really, should he? So it's kind of like, a, it, really the book is about kind of Jack finally taking responsibility for his actions. And also, maybe some of the sheen of Jack's corporate message kind of starting to rub off a bit. And so far, everything's been pretty wonderful for Afla, I think. Yeah, I mean, monsters have attacked, and there was a giant walking vampire factory god at one point, and things have been chaotic, but Afla, I think, has always come out on top, and I think this is the beginning of a real opposition to what they stand for, which is something which is going to carry on through future books. And also, there have been some very subtle plot threads, which are maybe too subtle because no one's, no one's come up and asked me about them yet, but some very subtle plot threads in the previous books are going to start paying off. So yeah, I want, when we get to like the big reveal, I want people to go, uh, it was always planned. Whatever it was. <laughs> I leave it open so I can just pretend to look so The Hodor moment. Indeed, yes, exactly. Yeah, we want to have a Hodor moment. That's what it is. <laughs> well, I... Uh, Anything else? Well, no, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't mind putting a pin in it there if, uh, if everyone is okay. If, no further questions. If everyone's happy, because I mean, I love the sound of my voice. So I could keep. You're very kind. Uh, but no, I'm happy to. Call okay. It there. Well, if you do have any more questions, you can catch John at his table, which is kind of directly opposite the main entrance. Isn't yeah, it? we're on the far, far side as you come round. And, uh, I'm sure John will be happy to talk to you there and sell you things. I'll quite, <coughs> quite happily talk your ear off. Yeah, so thank you all for coming. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, before I go, oh, if you want to applause, I'll. <laughs> this podcast, and others like it, is made possible thanks to our wonderful backers on Patreon. To support Big Punch Studios as we make comics like Afterlife Thinking Semi String, games like Sandwich Masters, and podcasts like the one you've just been listening to, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Big Punch Studios. For just $5 a month, not only will you help make everything we do a reality, but we'll also send you four copies of Big Punch magazine a year. That's over 180 full colour pages of comic action, featuring Cuckoo's Orb, 99 Swords, and Catamaran, delivered straight to your door. This has been a Big Punch Studios production. For all things Big Punch, be sure to head on over to www.bigpunchstudios.com.